0: Hi and welcome to the Psychology Sisters podcast. I'm Amy, a registered psychotherapist. And I'm Kat, a registered psychologist. As well as being best friends, we specialise in relationships, friendships, anxiety, mental health issues, confidence, work-life balance, setting and achieving goals and overall guidance on how to slay life one day at a time. In this podcast, we cut through all the vague well-being advice to offer you specific scientific and evidence-based information to help give you the skills and knowledge needed to master the art of life. Now, let's dive deep into today's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode number four. Can't believe it. Four episodes. People are still listening. Hashtag blessed. Today we are talking all things anxiety and when I say we, I mean me because unfortunately Amy cannot be here today so I will miss her but I will try to do it justice for you guys so I will probably be laughing my own jokes a lot so I apologize in advance. Um, We had a huge response in our polls that we put up on Instagram. Thank you so much for everyone who voted. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you guys, um, you must be feeling pretty anxious out there because we... (laughs) I think over half of our followers voted for anxiety so I will try and do my best to help you guys out with if you are feeling anxious and worried. As a psych, I see anxiety honestly probably every single day. It's probably the most commonly referred to thing that I that I see, probably closely followed by depression. So anxiety I think is my number one most presenting mental health disorder. So we will firstly talk about what is anxiety how it presents in people and also we'll talk about how anxiety can affect your life and I will go into some tips that I use for my clients when I'm in session with them. Some really good ideas that can help, hopefully it can help you guys out. So please just use this as general information. This is not in replacement of personal psychological advice from a mental health professional but this might be this might be really, really helpful for you guys to hear if you are feeling someone who is quite anxious it could be really a good way to see if if your anxiety is you know at a level or maybe you need some extra intervention or maybe this stuff could be really helpful for you as well so stay tuned for some fun hot tips from me so firstly we anxiety what is anxiety it can be a feeling of worry and it's like this overwhelming feeling of concern and unease and you might get butterflies in your tummy you might feel a tightness of your chest when you're anxious you might feel sweaty you might get red-faced anything like that you can generally tell if you're feeling quite anxious you get this really tight feeling in your body but how I mean there is a difference between generally just feeling worried about something versus anxiety so anxiety is usually a lot more consistent anxiety is more of a chronic long-term feeling of worry and it's usually not just about the one thing anxiety can present in lots of different parts of your life you could worry about your money you could worry about your job you could worry about what you're going to be doing after uni you could be worrying about your relationships so chronic anxiety or chronic worry can develop into anxiety um and it's also something that can affect so much of your life it can be so overwhelming and controlling and really really hard to get out of this kind of cycle of anxiety so I will definitely be talking a, a lot more about that so you guys might be thinking where does anxiety come from so it's really our body's response to stress so it's our body goes into something that you guys might be aware of called the fight flight or freeze response and that's essentially our you know it's our brain's way of sending a message to our body that we're under that we're in danger and there's a threat and we need to either get away from the threat or fight the threat. So this is a very evolutionary theory of anxiety but it's something that I certainly Fully believe in especially with my clients you might have experiences when you have felt anxious so for example you might get an email from your boss and it might say we need to talk in my office now with that passive aggressive full stop that <laughs> makes it so much worse and you might think oh my god so you might be someone who is a fight So you might start to get really angry, you might start to get really defensive, you might start to think what like I I can't and usually with you wanting to fight you are wanting to really fight the threat away. If you're someone who is a flight you might be someone who you get that email and you think oh my god I need to run away. I do not want to be here. I want to bury my head in the sand or I want to just run. I just (laughs) can't deal with this right now. I just want to dig a hole in the earth and go down to China because this is too much or you might be a freezer you might be not a fridge but like you might be someone who freezes so you just might it's almost like when you guys have the I don't know if you guys have the dreams but when you have dreams and you can't move you know when you feel like you're stuck in the earth it's like that feeling of you you, it's like you want to move but you can't it's like your body is frozen it's frozen in time and you can't – you cannot move and your body's just in this almost like this shock. So they're the fight, flight and freeze. And, for example, like this this stuff was so helpful in the caveman days. You know, I love caveman days. <laughs> but this stuff was, you know, if there was a big line coming, we needed the fight, flight, the fight or flight. We probably – the freeze probably wasn't really helpful. But the fight or flight. Was super helpful for survival because if there was a lion or a bear or whatever it was that was coming, then you are hoping that your body can fight or flight because you need to survive. But unfortunately, an email from your boss unfortunately, your body cannot differentiate between a psychological threat. So that's something that is, you know, for example, an email from your boss or a text message from your partner saying we need to chat (laughs) with a full stop. It could be that you're giving a presentation tomorrow at work and that's a psychological threat versus a physical threat which is you know for example the bear coming or even just a dog growling at you on your way to work or anything it could even be you're getting a creepy vibe from someone who keeps staring at you and they look really fucking really sus. that could be a physical threat so unfortunately anxiety comes from our brain cannot differentiate between the two threats and so what happens is when we're in this fight or flight mode is our it activates our I know it's going to be a bit scientific but I'll keep it short and sweet when we're anxious this activates our parasympathetic nervous system and that is the part of the nervous system that is responsible for digestion and rest and essentially what happens is if your brain has sensed a threat in your environment whether it's psychological or physical It will activate our adrenal glands which sends out adrenaline and noradrenaline and it will also activate our cortisol so cortisol is the hormone that is responsible for it's like called the stress hormone and that's essentially what it does so unfortunately when we are stressed or feeling anxious our body is pumped full of adrenaline and that's really to help it's getting our body ready for the fight or the flight so it's sending all this extra blood flow sending this extra blood flow to our limbs it is p- p- pumping that adrenaline through our system to make sure that we're ready to run and people who are anxious are more likely to have this vulnerability to having this increased adrenaline and cortisol running through their body a lot more so this is fine if you're someone who might get worried you know not very often and you know that's that's a natural response your body is going to have but if you're someone who constantly feels anxious and overwhelmed and you're constantly in this fight or flight mode your body's under a lot of stress it's it's sensing this threat in your environment then your cortisol is going to be quite high and you're going to have this adrenaline pumping through your body so people who are anxious are usually quite alert they obviously because their body is trying to keep them alert because they're at this extra heightened sense of vigilance to ensure that they're going to run away or fight their threat, whichever they think it is. But as I said, our brain cannot differentiate between a psychological threat or a physical threat. So if we're faced with the email from our boss or the text message from someone (laughs) or the job interview tomorrow that we're really nervous about or the presentation we have to give at work or the first date that we want to go on, our brains will perceive that as a threat and it will do exactly the same as what it will for a physical threat. So a dog growling or a lion, and it will pump us full of adrenaline. But for a psychological threat, we don't, we don't actually need the adrenaline. We don't need the cortisol because there's nothing to run away from. But unfortunately, while our brains are so clever, they are amazing machines in our head, little computers. They also can get some things wrong, so they can perceive things as a threat. And if you have high cortisol, this for people who are anxious, they 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 might be more likely to be vulnerable to things such as it can you know stop you from learning new things. If you're in this state of arousal all the time and hypervigilance, you're not relaxed, so your brain is going to switch off the the higher brain functions, and they're things like your memory your ability to learn new things, your communication, your orientation. So those things the brain are processing as. These are not important right now. My memory is not important. What is important is we need to send all of our energy down to our limbs and that primitive brain, it's activated and it's focusing on let's get you running or let's get you fighting. And so when we do have this fight or flight mode, Our bodies and brains are so clever because if we are in this mode, what it does, it sends, as I said, that extra blood flow to our arms and our legs to get us ready to run as fast as we can. Also, our eyesight improves, our hearing improves, and our smell improves. So That's almost getting us ready for like, I'm going to have better eyesight so I can sense out threats in the environment. I'm going to have better hearing so I can be more alert to sounds in my environment. And it's just amazing that our obviously our body can do that. But unfortunately, as I said, <laughs> it's really not needed when you have an email from your boss. So I like to describe anxiety to my clients as a really oversensitive smoke alarm. Our brain is this sensitive smoke alarm that goes off even at the smallest thing. So if you've ever been cooking like I cook all the well I don't actually I I cook rarely ever but when I do I generally will send the smoke alarm off um and you can you can imagine how frustrating that is but for people who have anxiety it's like having this broken smoke alarm that goes off at everything so if you burn toast which I definitely do if you burn (laughs) anything on the stovetop that smoke alarm will go off even at the smallest thing even if it's not putting your life in danger it will go off and that's great if it works correctly and there is a fire and you need to (laughs) get out of there that's fantastic but it is exhausting if it keeps going off and you are feeling like there's no danger what am I stressing about it doesn't work properly and it doesn't do you any justice if this smoke alarm goes off for every single little thing and that's what anxiety is it will scan your environment your brain will scan the environment and any tiny little thing like an email from your boss going out with friends anything that you your brain will perceive as a threat your brain is highly sensitive to a threat it will tell you mm-mm, we're in danger here I, no no we're not happy here I'm going to send all that blood flow down. I'm going to make sure we're going to get you out of this alive. But it hasn't been told <laughs> that it needs to chill out. You need to check yourself before you literally wreck yourself because <laughs> it's all good. So it can really affect. Anxiety can affect so much of your life. Anxiety can really, really... If you're anxious, you're probably not sleeping. And if you're not sleeping, you're probably not in the best mood. If you're not in the best mood, that can affect how you are at work. It can affect your relationships, your friendships, your family relationships, your intimate relationships. It can affect your, as I said before, even if you're not getting enough sleep, and that's just one part of anxiety. Your brain is so tired, it's not going to want to learn new things or have that higher cognitive functioning. It's just trying to survive on little sleep. And people who are anxious actually have a really, they're generally they're not very good sleepers and what I mean by good is they either won't get the recommended amount of time that they that they need for their brain function everyone's different I know for me I need at least eight hours a night and I feel like women actually do need I've, I've read a stat somewhere don't quote me on this but I'm 99% sure that women do need more sleep than men if you get less than the recommended amount and you probably know by now what how much sleep you need if you're someone who is anxious or anyone you probably know that you're really you're you're really a lot happier if you have at least seven hours or six hours or eight or ten or whatever it is so people who are anxious generally have a lot less sleep than other people and they also, if they're not getting enough REM sleep, so that's the sleep where it stands for rapid eye movement sleep. That's the part of sleep that we, the cycle that we need for the ultimate brain function. So our brain needs to rest, it needs to recover. And when we're in REM sleep, we consolidate new learning experiences that we learned that day. It really, really is so needed for rest and recovery, that REM sleep. And if anxious and if people aren't getting that, then that's going to have a huge effect on them. You know, their their brain function, their levels of exhaustion, their ability to learn new things, their memory. Like it's crazy how just sleep can have such a huge impact on so many things. And people who are anxious generally do not have that really good amount or quality of sleep. And anxiety can also affect not just your sleep, but your social life. If you have someone who has social anxiety, and social anxiety is where you fear the judgment of others in a social context. So if you're someone with anxiety, you are not going to go out. You might avoid the situation altogether. So if you've got a party coming up, or if you've got a birthday or something coming up, and if you're someone who's socially anxious and is so worried about what other people think of you, then I can imagine that you might do all things possible to avoid that situation or get out of that situation because it's such an uncomfort anxiety, such an uncomfortable feeling. That one of the best ways and easiest ways that people will get try and get rid of their anxiety is to just avoid it altogether, avoid that feeling. And, you know, you can't blame them. You can't blame people with anxiety because it's it's exhausting and you they feel, anx- they feel anxious for most of the day and for a lot of days of the week. And it is such a natural reaction to want to avoid whatever it is that's causing you anxiety. But unfortunately, at least with the social situations, that unfortunately you will be missing out on that social interaction. But what about if you're anxious about work or you're anxious about going to uni or you're anxious about your relationships, these things, you know, you need to be present at work, you need to be present in your relationships and your friendships and you need to be present at uni. Like I like to think of anxiety, it's it's almost like this, it's like having two chain balls on your feet. It, you can get places but you get there a lot slower and it's it's a way harder for you to get places than for other people who don't have anxiety. So Can totally empathize with people who have it. It is totally exhausting. So, people who have chronic anxiety, and that means people who have suffered with anxiety long term, that can lead to headaches, it can actually lead to depression, it can lead to heart problems, it can lead to adrenal fatigue, it can lead to a loss of libido, so it can affect your sex life. Because you're so exhausted, the last thing you probably want to do is have sexual intercourse with your partner it's you're you just probably want to try and sleep could have muscle aches it can lead to digestion problems anxiety is like this silent <laughs> I'm not going to say killer but it it's this really sni and because mental health is it you can't see it it's not like it's a broken leg where people can look at you and think oh you've got a broken leg I'm of course you need to stay home and heal and rest but whereas if you have anxiety nobody there's not a sign on your head saying I have anxiety so there's no there's not as much sensitivity and empathy around mental health disorders And, and sometimes I get clients who are embarrassed to have anxiety because they think oh people think I'm attention seeking or they think that I'm being silly or they just People tell me not to worry and for someone with anxiety that is the most frustrating thing someone can tell you is, oh, just stop worrying, like you'll be fine. Just just chill and guarantee if you have anxiety, chronic anxiety, and someone's told you that you probably wanted to punch them in the head. I <laughs> don't blame you. So I have three tips. These are the rules I live by for my clients, and also I get anxiety too. <laughs> so number one, I get my client this is like my mantra I have with my clients. They think I'm absolutely insane, but I promise you, even though I'm crazy, if this sticks in your head, then this can be a huge, huge help for you. So number one, anxiety is normal. You're not weird if you have anxiety. You're not strange. You're not abnormal. There's nothing. You're not a weirdo. There is nothing wrong with you. Anxiety is our brain's way of keeping us alive. So kudos to your brain. Like, give it a bit of credit. I mean, at least it's not killing you. Well, I mean, maybe slowly it is, but... Your body and brain are keeping you alive. So, wow, pats on your back for your amazing brain for doing that. But while it is amazing and so clever in most things, unfortunately with anxiety, it does get some things wrong. People with anxiety have this internal monologue and this internal chatter that sometimes our brains can tell us things that aren't true and they can tell us that there's danger when there's actually no danger so our brains can play some absolute mind games with us and I think the best way to figure out whether it's tricking you, so if you're getting anxious and you're feeling your heart rate increasing and you're feeling you're sweating and you, f- you have that really heavy feeling in your chest, I know for me, I get that really heavy feeling, my heart rate increases, I like get a really hot face, anxiety's not pretty but <laughs> I get the butterflies, um, not like the first date butterflies but like the I don't want you in my life, butterflies, I get them. And so when you feel that coming on or you know your symptoms, I think the best thing to do is recognize when you start to feel anxious and then when you feel that's coming on, (laughs) the best way to realize if your brain is playing mind games with you is look around, is a bear coming at you, is a lion coming at you, is a car flying at you, is an axe being thrown at you, is there a gun in your vicinity, is there anything in your environment that is this urgent threat. Like, is there anything that you think is going to kill you? I mean, maybe. (laughs) But in that case, run. Definitely get out there. (laughs) But I can probably guarantee that 99% of the time, you're in an office, you're in your car, you're somewhere safe where nothing is an immediate threat to your life. So that's when you know your brain is playing mind games on you. My second rule and hot tip is anxiety is not dangerous as much as it feels like it's the end of the world as much as it feels like your internal organs are crushing you and <laughs> you feel like you're in this slow form of torturous death I can promise you it's not dangerous as long as you treat it <laughs> and look after yourself and then it might get dangerous but in the present anxiety is not dangerous at all the way that I like to think of it is I will ask my clients to describe me what their anxiety feels like. Like what, what is their anxiety? If they had to describe in a really factual way, like pretend there is an alien, a very friendly alien. He's green, he's cute. He's come down from Mars and he wants to hear all about your anxiety because that's what aliens will do. They want to hear all about mental health. <laughs> he, You need to describe to him what does anxiety feel like? And you cannot use words like good or bad. You literally just have to describe your feeling. And it's so funny because my clients will say, Oh, it's this really awful, awful, clenching feeling. I say, No, don't use good or bad. Literally just describe it to me without using the good or the bad describing words. And when they describe it, it actually sounds really neutral. There's not a negative thing about it. So what it is, is it's literally just a reaction that's happening in your body. And we've chosen to make it a, a A negative reaction, like it's oh, I'm feeling this is the worst thing in the world. It's not. It's your body. Your body is reacting this way, and that's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing that's happening. It's a very neutral event, but we're perceiving it as really awful and terrible and bad. So if you have used my first rule and you've realized there's no cock flying at you, you don't have a machine gun coming at your head or a machete or (laughs) whatever it is you're worried about, then a you're probably safe. B you need to recognize that your body is just reacting and you might your, body's playing, your brain is playing mind games on you and your body is just reacting to whatever your brain's telling it. And if you listen to my hot tips later on, I will tell you some cool things you can do that can calm you down in that moment straight away. The third hot tip I have is this too shall pass. <laughs> Feelings of anxiety will pass. They will pass and they do pass. But you need to let them pass. A lot of people will resist anxiety. So they will literally say, you too shall not pass to their anxiety. So they're actually resisting it. And by resisting your anxiety, like for example, if you got an email from your boss and you're, you were thinking, "Nah, I can't deal with this. I cannot deal with this. I need to go home. I need to wrap myself in a blanket. Can't deal then you're actually resisting that feeling of anxiety. I know for me, when I was studying, I would get so anxious about a test or an exam or whatever it is I had coming up, writing my thesis, oh man, I was feeling so anxious about it. So in order for me to try and feel better or to get rid of that feeling of anxiety, I wouldn't just you know let it pass (laughs) I would try and resist it and get rid of it as quick as I could so I would eat I would eat like chips I would eat whatever it was that I thought would bring me comfort and make me feel better and you know for 10 minutes it probably did but then after that it was got 10 times worse because not only did I feel anxious now I felt sick (laughs) from all the food I was eating and your girl can eat so you can imagine that actually that makes it worse So, by resisting your anxiety you make it like 10 times worse I would not recommend so let your anxiety pass it's an awful awful feeling I know let that pass right I say to my clients ride that wave pretend you're this epic pro surfer and your anxiety is this big wave I live by the beach so (laughs) everything's a metaphor either food or, or a beach metaphor um so lame. and ride that wave ride that wave of anxiety it feels awful you might get dumped it feels really really crappy but I promise every time you're going to come up you'll come up for air and it'll be calm again you'll feel okay so as I said you know resisting your anxiety can perpetuate it can make it so much worse so for example if your boss had if you'd run away back to your house and gotten under your blanket and you had left work for the day because you're so scared of your boss then you never know what your boss would have been calling you in for. He might have just been like, hey, I really need you to sign this card. <laughs> or, you, know, I, I've, you know, can you please throw a surprise party or can you grab me this or that report you handed in, can you tell me more about it or can you add more in here? Like you, you have literally no idea what your boss was trying was trying to tell you, but you were just jumping to a conclusion that it was immediately a bad thing. And so by going home and trying to escape from it or by getting angry at your boss, you're making an issue. (laughs) You are, by resisting it, you're actually making more of an issue than when it started. So unfortunately, that's a cycle people can get stuck in is they're trying to avoid their anxiety. It actually makes it 10 times worse. And that's what people don't understand is they think, well... I tried to get rid of my anxiety and I tried to run away from my boss and he even he got angry so I told you I knew my anxiety was right that he was going to get angry at me but what they might not realize is your boss in the first place probably just I don't know whatever I said before just needed some help with something or needed you to rerun something over the report but by you going home you've made it worse and so you're thinking next time he gets angry at me I know he's just going to be you know because I was on Facebook or whatever. And so you're actually making these stories up in your head, this internal dialogue that people with anxiety seem to have so much internal dialogue going on in their head and they jump to conclusions and they have that really, really tunnel vision of what's happening and they forget to stop and look at the evidence around them as to what actually could be happening. Before I get into some really cool ideas I have for anxiety and stuff you can do at home or wherever it is the way you feel anxious, where does anxiety come from? I mean, this is a question I get so much. Anxiety it's not just something you just pick up somewhere. I mean, you probably could, but it's something that is usually, it takes a while to develop and certain things can trigger anxiety. So for example, it can come from your family. If you have, if your mom or dad or other members of your family have a history of mental health, then you might be more likely to develop anxiety, but it doesn't mean that you will develop it. You might be more likely or more vulnerable to develop anxiety your personality can affect anxiety it can trigger anxiety so for example if you're a perfectionist so perfectionists obviously like to be perfect at everything and as we know you can't be perfect at everything you know it's hard to be perfect even at one thing so if you are perfectionist for example we might get and they might get a 75 out of 100 for a test and for most people that's awesome like 75 you pass sweet but For a perfectionist, they might have been expecting a higher mark, a 90 or a 95 or even 100. So anything less than that, that can trigger anxiety. It can trigger that internal dialogue of, I don't know, I'm not good enough or I'm so dumb or I can't believe I didn't get that. So by setting the bar so high, it's kind of this recipe for disaster for anxiety. And also if you have low self-esteem or low body image, you might be more vulnerable to developing anxiety because that internal monologue is saying oh you're so fat or you're not good enough or you're not attractive by hearing that so much from your brain that can develop into anxiety because you might feel not worthy you might it might even trigger into social anxiety if you have you know body image issues so as I said anxiety can come from so many things um it can come from your environment If you have ongoing stressful events in your environment, that can certainly make you more vulnerable to developing anxiety. So things like a job change, if you get promoted and you've got a more stressful job, you'll probably have to work longer hours, Um, you'll be learning a lot of new things you didn't know before, so that's quite stressful. If you're experiencing relationship problems, so that's not just your romantic relationships, that could be with a friend, your parents, family, anything like that can trigger anxiety. A big one is for couples who they have a newborn, that can be a really big learning curve for people and it's a real period of the unknown. If you're a mum and you're listening, you probably know what I'm talking about. It's like what do I do? How do I keep this child alive? Like it's scary, it's <laughs> unfamiliar. And that's where anxiety is mostly from. It's the it's the being scared of the unfamiliar or the not known. It's can develop from shock after a stressful event so car accident anything like that and that could also develop into ptsd it can be also triggered by emotional sexual or physical abuse whether you were younger or whether it happened recently anxiety can certainly certainly stem from that as well and that's just to name a few there's so many other things in your life that can trigger anxiety and it's different for everybody anxiety for one person a job change could trigger anxiety For another person, a job change, they might really thrive off that. You know, just because one person is anxious about one thing doesn't mean you're going to get anxious about it or vice versa. Everyone is so different. I know for me, I'm not a really anxious person, but when certain things in my life... I get overwhelmed (laughs) really easily and I get really anxious then whereas for some people if they were faced with the same things I was faced with they were like oh like this is no big deal and vice versa so no one is the same just because someone else has anxiety over something else doesn't mean that you will um so as a psych I do get asked how would I diagnose anxiety because I think the common misconception of anxiety is just people who are worried a lot and that's not true. There's a big difference between when you worry about something and when you're chronically anxious about something. So I will mostly just be talking about generalized anxiety disorder and that's the anxiety disorder that is the most common presenting among people. If you have ever been diagnosed with anxiety from a GP, which I know a lot of people are because GPs are the first port of call for mental health problems, then unfortunately what a GP can do is they can give you a questionnaire. And it's 21 questions and judging from that questionnaire, they can legally diagnose you with anxiety or whatever it is they want to diagnose you with which is so, so incredibly frustrating for psychologists or mental health professionals because say, for example, you're on the way to a job interview and you pulled into the GP and you told them you're feeling really, really anxious. So they give you this questionnaire and of course, you are going to score high on your stress levels, high on your anxiety levels because you're about to walk into a really big job interview. And so just by seeing that, they can actually diagnose you. Whereas as a psychologist or a mental health professional, what they'll generally do is look at the broader picture. So they they might do a test on you, but they'll also observe your characteristics. They will make observations on how you present, how you talk, your behavior. And they'll also look to see your self-reported symptoms as well. So we generally will get a much bigger picture of the person. And we'll do it over time. I think the worst things that GPs can do is... You're in there for like maybe 10, 15 minutes and they tell you you have anxiety. Like that's not really an accurate depiction of your life. So mental health professionals will generally look at it over time and will make a much smarter and informed decision for diagnosis. So as a psych, if we were to diagnose someone with generalized anxiety disorder, we'll look at things like have they been feeling consistently anxious or feelings of worry have been present for at least six months on most days? Does the person or the client feel like they cannot control their worry? So no matter what you do, you just cannot get a grasp on that worry. Does this anxiety impact on friendships? Does it impact on other parts of your life? Does it impact on any kind of social functioning part of your life? And if the anxiety is not a result from using a substance, a medication, or it's not from cause from another disorder, then that's how we will generally diagnose someone with anxieties. We'll look at all those things, we'll look at the tests, we'll look at our observations and your self reported symptoms and we'll make a judgment from there. You know, sometimes people who are diagnosed can be really relieved. It kinda can be like, oh thank god like I'm not this wasn't just me being strange or weird or I wasn't just making this up like it's actually true but some people who hear that they might think oh okay like that can be confronting so what are some things that I will do for my clients so firstly because our body is under this physical stress and our parasympathetic nervous system is at this high level of vigilance and stress I will first focus on the physical symptoms so if I have a client coming into me who's highly stressed they might be pacing around, they're breathing, they've got really shallow breathing. The first thing I will get client to do is breathing. So breathing can sound like deep breathing, really airy-fairy. I'm so aware of that. As someone who is a science nerd, when I first heard that, I was like, oh yeah, whatever, breathing, like we do that every day. How's that going to help? So it can help. <laughs> and it actually is backed by science. <laughs> I learned soon after. So by taking deep really deep breaths and getting that oxygen into your diaphragm because when we're anxious we tend to take more shallow breaths and our that's because our heart rate has increased so our breathing will reflect that but if we are taking big long slow deep breaths then we're slowing our system down we're slowing our breathing we're slowing our heart rate down that is sending a message to our brain that everything's okay that we do not need to stress we do not need to pump the adrenaline into our body That it's all gonna be okay so I will get my clients to take a really big deep breath in and it's almost like the breath you can feel at the bottom of your tummy so not just the top of your chest but the bottom I'll say I want you to breathe in as much as you can and it's almost like get as skinny as you can I say breathe in and really really like get as skinny as if you know you can so suck in and then I want you to hold for three or four seconds And I want you to do a really big breath out. See how long it takes you to do a really big breath out. And I can just do that three or four times with clients. Some clients it might take longer. Some clients it can take two or three times. And I have seen just from doing deep breaths, holy moly, the effects are insane. I have had, I remember this one client so clearly, she came in she was so so anxious she was pacing she didn't even want to come in the room she couldn't look me in the eye she was sweating she was fanning herself she was walking around the room she was talking a million miles an hour about something that had just happened to her and she was so stressed about it and we did I think we did about eight or nine breaths together and oh my gosh the effect on her was incredible it's she just went from 100 to zero real quick she was so much more relaxed and. As a clinician, we cannot talk to people if they're at this highly stressed state because they're not going to listen. As I said, the higher functioning, that stuff turns off. They're not going to take in new information. The last thing they want to do is listen to me. (laughs) They want to try and get rid of their stress somehow or worry. So just by doing that, you're literally telling your body it's all good, we're safe, and I'll also get clients, this might also help as well, saying affirmations while you're breathing in your head. So it could be... It's all good. We're safe. Nothing is trying to harm me. I'm safe and I'm fine. And just by doing that can be so helpful. Also, mindfulness can be really helpful. I won't go much into mindfulness, but it is really, really fantastic for clients who are anxious. There is a free app called headspace it's not like the center's headspace that we have in Australia but it's this um, I think it's an American app and essentially it's just guided meditation or mindfulness for beginners I know this stuff can sound really airy-fairy to people who have not been you know who don't know much about it but I guarantee I was also quite critical of this stuff and it wasn't until I learned about the effects of it that I actually started using it myself and I have downloaded this app and Josh and I have done it together and we are always after it like it's only 5 or 7 minutes it's not long at all we do it before bed or we we've done it in the morning a few times it just feels it's like this really soothing british guy and he just tells you what to do you, you know people have this really funny vision of mindfulness as being this like little You know, you have to sit on the floor and cross your legs and put your hands on your knees and do the um, but you didn't have to do that at all. So yeah, if you are interested in that, download Headspace and they have free guided mindfulness stuff. It's really, really awesome. Second thing I will do is I like to find the evidence for people. So I will get them to do something called a thought download. So that is essentially downloading all of our thoughts. So because our brain's like a computer, I want you to download all your thoughts onto a piece of paper and write down every single worry and anxiety provoking thought that you have. So it could be for me, for example, I'm so stressed about my wedding. I am worried about money. Uh, I've got a trip coming up and I haven't prepared for So I'll get clients to write down. It could be anything. It could be, oh, I'm stressed about buying a house. I'm stressed about if I'm going to be able to get a job after uni. I'm stressed that I don't like the job I'm in. I'm stressed that I don't know what I want to do with my life. Like It can be the biggest issues, the most existential crises ever. It could be smaller. You know, It's all relative. It could be, oh, I'm worried about my phone bill. I'm stressed about seeing this person on the weekend or I'm... Whatever issue it is, I want, it's really helpful to write it down and I totally recommend old school pen and paper. Obviously, your phone can work as well but there's something so, I don't know, liberating (laughs) about writing stuff down on old school pen and paper. It's almost like you're really externalizing your anxiety and your thoughts and sometimes just by getting it outside of your brain, what is that saying? It's like a problem shared is a problem halved. So even though you're not talking to anyone, you don't have to tell anyone but if, you know. If you're someone who's a writer and likes to write stuff down, this stuff is so good. And for my clients, sometimes I will get them to write down all their thoughts and then I'll get them to tear it up and put it in the bin. And for some people, that is so liberating. It's like, oh, that was so good. I love that. Like, oh, that was so nice just to get it out of my brain um so as I said I will do a thought download and if I don't get them to rip it up (laughs) you can do that I will get them to choose their most pressing worry like what it's one that you feel a lot like what is something that you worry about all the time for me it's money so if I'm worrying about money all the time all right I'm worried about my money so if a client wrote that I will say all right let's look at the best case scenario so for example if they are worried about meeting their rent every week or saving up for a house whatever it is what is the best case scenario of your money situation and they might say oh my best case scenario is I will save enough to buy a house I said okay cool and they might say I might say what is the worst case scenario of your money situation at the moment they might say oh worst case scenario is that I cannot save up enough for a house I'll never be able to buy a house or I won't be able to meet my rent and I might get kicked out I say okay yep doesn't sound fun but I would then say, what is the most likely to happen? Looking at what you've done before and looking at your, behave, your money behavior previously. And guys, this isn't just about money. I'm just using this as an example. What is the most likely that will happen? So let's look at the evidence. Let's look at what has been done before. And so they might say, oh, well, previously to this, I have met my rent pretty much every month. I've been really good at budgeting. I think because I am worried about it, I, I do. It means that I do put a lot of thought into it and I make sure that I can meet my rent or they might say look it might take me a little bit longer to save for a house but I know that if you know maybe I could change where I'm looking for a house or maybe I could you know kind of get rid of the limitations that I have that I in my brain that I need to have this house by the time I'm 25 or whatever it is you know so by looking at the best case scenario and the worst case scenario, because people with anxiety would always focus on the worst case scenario, always. They have this tunnel vision and they will always think that the worst case scenario is going to happen. They'll forget to look at what is most likely to happen. That's the evidence. And generally, if you've gotten through something, a similar challenge before, so say, for example, that a client who's met all their rent every month, then most likely they're going to continue to meet their rent every month because they have done that before. I will also get people to, (laughs) this is like my favorite intervention ever because it means we can have so much fun with the client. I do something called the scale of awfulness and awfulness. So it is, I will get the clients to rate on a scale of one to 10. And 10 is what is the worst thing that could ever happen to you? Like I sound like I'm (laughs) crazy laughing at how fun this is, but I promise it is fun. I say, what is the worst thing that will ever happen to you? And it's so funny because clients will my anxious clients, especially, will say, Oh, well, my boss will fire me. And I think, and I say to them, Really? Is that the worst thing that could ever happen to you in your whole life? And so I will eventually get out of them, you know, for example, I might say, For me, <laughs> the worst thing that could ever happen is the earth being hit by a meteor. This sounds really counterintuitive to say this stuff to anxious people, but I promise you it really, really works. And then I'll say, Number nine, what is, you know, not as bad as the earth getting hit by a meteor, but still pretty bad and they might say oh maybe a zombie apocalypse so maybe I don't die but maybe zombies come out and we have to try and survive I say yeah definitely that would not be fun and so we'll go down the scale number eight seven six etc down to one or two and usually when the client my clients get to one or two because they have really like you know they've listed the most terrible things that could ever happen to them one or two is usually a work problem or I don't know, money problem because as I said, comparatively to ten, nine, eight, seven, six, their problems about money or relationships are usually a one or a two. So when I ask them to circle whatever it is they're worrying about on the scale, they usually circle. So for example, the client who can't meet their rent, they'll usually or worried about meeting their rent. They'll think, Oh, I guess it's not as bad as a zombie eating my head. It's not as bad as my house burning down. It's it's you know, so it's usually a one, two or three. And so I will ask the client, I say Has your worrying about this been, has it matched the size of the problem? Is your size of your worry? And nine times out of 10, it's no, oh my gosh, I can't believe that I was putting so much energy into this. This is the level of energy needed for a level 10. (laughs) And I've been putting it, that level of energy and worry into a level two or three worry in my life. And I always ask clients, has it been beneficial for you? Has it worked for you? Has good things come out of you worrying about this? And they might be able to name one or two things like being, you know, for example, prepared for their rent or being able to be more organized. But there's a lot more reasons they might say, no, it actually has caused me sleeping problems. I lost a lot of faith in myself. I don't want to go out and see people. I have become so worried that it's almost not, it hasn't been worth it at all. And so when you do the scale of awfulness, my clients are always just like stunned <laughs> that they've been putting so much of their mental energy and worry into something that's a one or a two. So can confirm that is so fun to do. Not fun, but you know what I mean? That's so fun to be creative and to think of the worst thing that could ever happen to you and look at it on the scale and see where your current problem lies. And that'll give you an indication of how much worry you should be putting into it and whether and and really question yourself it, has it been beneficial me worrying about this has it you know brought good things in my life it will really really make you think another thing I will do is literally just to expose the client to whatever it is they're worried about so I might have a client who is socially anxious and they are worried about going to a party on the weekend or they're worried about what their friends will think of them if I they post something on Instagram whatever it is so I will just say okay well how about you try and go and see how you go and you know I might say have you been to something like this before and what happened did the world end the zombies come out they might say oh no I you know I was fine it was a bit scary but and I say well who's to say that this time isn't going to be fine because nine times out of ten previously it's been okay so just by exposing you to this then it's the best way say for example you are scared of roller coasters so you might look at that roller coaster and think oh man you've you've never been on a roller coaster before so it's going up and down it's going upside down you think oh man i'm not so keen on this but you're never gonna know what it's like if you never go on it or you never expose yourself to it and if you get off and you think actually that was pretty damn cool i want to do that again Or you might think, okay, like that was a bit scary. It's not for me, but at least I tried. You'll probably be thinking, not as bad as I thought, not too bad. So exposing yourself to whatever it is that you're worried about can be a real, it's it's the hardest, I think, of all interventions, but it's definitely the most effective. I will also look at things like caffeine, sleep, sugar, caffeine and sugar. There has been studies that have shown that If you do not have enough sleep, as you're getting less sleep, it will increase your levels of anxiety. So even just getting not enough sleep can trigger anxiety. And there's also been studies that have shown that if you have more caffeine than normal, or if you have a lot of caffeine or sugar in your diet, even pre-workout, people that go to the gym might take pre-workout. Man, that stuff is so (laughs) bad for your body. That is, It's almost like you're fighting fire with fire because your body, if you're anxious, is already in this heightened stress state. It's already having that, Blood pump, you know it's already having that adrenaline and cortisol pumping through your body so by putting more caffeine into your body by putting more adrenaline and energy into your body and sugar sugar does that as well you are literally expecting yourself to be a functioning human with ten thousand times energy <laughs> it's not gonna work it's your poor body it's trying to just do one thing at a time so I would if you're someone who is a big coffee drinker or you realize that you eat a lot of sugar in your diet try and. I'd recommend my clients to try and replace it with a caffeine-free alternative or just be mindful of their sugar and caffeine intake because that can have a huge impact on your anxiety. I guess from a neuroscience point of view, three things that can really, really help also is there's three chemicals in our body. I call them the happy chemicals. So they're serotonin, dopamine, and endorphins, and they are released during exercise. Exercise is absolutely amazing speaking of the gym for anxiety so when you exercise you release those three happy chemicals and that can counter the effects of the cortisol which is the stress hormone or the stress chemical and so by exercising you're firstly you're helping to get out some of that anxious energy and adrenaline but you're also releasing those feel good happy chemicals so they can they're shown to reduce your stress and improve and boost your mood so exercise like a double whammy that's a really really good one and it doesn't have to be intense exercise it can be walking it can be getting out into the fresh air it can be swimming it can be yoga whatever it is that makes you feel good strongly strongly recommend so guys i hope you enjoyed my top tips and my interventions um as i said this is not in replacement of a psychologist giving you personal advice this is more just general information but There's some really, really great resources out there that I will probably put on Instagram later this week. So stay tuned. You know, maybe it's online counselling or maybe it's through your company's EAP. So that's your like counselling service through your company. They're all really great ways that if you're not ready to go to a GP or you're not feeling like if any of this spoke to you or if you felt like, oh, maybe I am quite anxious or maybe I do have this really constant worry and it affects a lot of my life or it really really impacts me and uh, you know I try to avoid it and I feel like it's got this huge control over me then this might be a light bulb moment that maybe you need some extra help and there are so many people who live with their anxiety and it's when you can learn to manage it and when you can learn to understand a bit more and know what's happening in your body it can be so liberating if you can it's possible to reduce your own anxiety and to help your brain get back to that normal relaxed state it's so possible you do not have to live like this forever but it's just knowing where to get help and that you can be helped and you need to feel ready for it as well but as I say, go to your GP and be, please be mindful that they can <laughs> diagnose you on the spot, but please don't be worried about that. They will generally refer you on to a mental health professional who can give you more of an understanding of what's going on for you. So please seek help if you felt like maybe you just need some extra information. You can go online, but, you know, as I said, you can definitely head to your GP for some extra help as well. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed and I hope this was helpful. Stay tuned next episode. Amy will be back. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode. If you want to see more, please follow us on our Instagram at the Psychology Sisters. Please note this is purely educational information. If this episode has raised any concerns and you feel you would like to speak to someone, please visit your local GP for further support. Tune in next episode for some more spicy science and sexy self-help.